Fantastic. Thank you so much, Harvest. It is uh, really good to be here and to be part of uh, what God is doing with you. Um, it's great to start off um, our 2017 uh, in such an amazing church. Um, just love the story of this wonderful family, just seeing what God uh, does when community in, in, uh, in church does what it's supposed to do. Um, and Katya and I are so excited to be joining this community. Um, we're really trusting God that um, our partnership together will produce much fruit, not only in Harvest, but in the city and in this nation. Um, we really want to come and be a part of you. We want to be part of what God's doing. We want to be part of community, not only to give, but to receive um, uh, in terms of spiritual oversight and wisdom. And so it's very exciting for us to partner with you. For those of you who don't know anything about what Katya and I do, we get to travel into many different nations, doing some work with lots of local churches in terms of leadership development and in terms of prophetic ministry. If you are a guest visiting here and you've never heard that phrase, prophetic ministry, really what we want to do is what everyone should be doing, and that is to reveal the heart of God and his purposes for his people. And uh, we get to do that and have seen God do some incredible things in the nations. And uh, we're really excited about 2017 because I think uh, Jehovah Sneaky, I know that's not in the Bible, but Jehovah Sneaky is going to surprise us with some good stuff. I'm going to say amen to that point myself. If you can, why don't you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. As George said, I'm going to begin a two-part session um, uh, today. I want to start off this morning talking about the person of the Holy Spirit and how he impacts our life. And tonight I want to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm believing in particularly for tonight's meeting that there will be incredible demonstration of what God can do in and through us. And I believe God's going to heal people. I believe God's going to meet with people. For those of you who've never had an encounter with the person of the Holy Spirit, I believe uh, this morning and tonight, God's going to invite you into that encounter so that you would live a life that is more than ordinary, because that's what we're called to do. And uh, so I'm, as you can hear, very excited about that. And I'd encourage you to come with expectation if you are coming tonight, and even this morning, uh, just really be expecting for God to meet with you, because he is so kind. He's the kindest person I know, and I believe God wants to meet with us in his kindness. John chapter 1, I'm also going to flip over to Romans chapter 8, so if you can get your fingers ready and moving through the pages of your Bible, that'll be great, or through your iPad or iPhone. John chapter 1 and verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. If you can flip over to Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself, himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Father, I ask you this morning that you would help me communicate truth, that there would be an incredible sense of revelation and encounter even as your word is being preached. I pray, God, that you would come and tell us who we really are in you. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things I love about particularly this Gospel of John where we've spoken about um, Jesus' baptism is that if you understand some of the dynamic in the day, you'll understand that in Israel, uh, there was a sense of growing expectation that God was about to raise up a Messiah. And when you read Luke's Gospel, you actually see the phrase that all of Israel was in expectation. They were sensing something was moving. They were sensing something was shifting. And they were sensing that the Messiah, and whenever you hear the word Messiah in a Hebrew understanding, It's not just someone who's going to save us, but actually someone who's going to come and make those things which are wrong right again. It's it's an expectation of the one on whom God's presence would rest. In fact, the word Messiah comes from a Hebrew word called charisma, which means to smear, it means to be covered. And they were expecting this one who would be covered, who would be smeared, who would be full of the person of the Spirit. When you read throughout Isaiah, the prophetic cry of the prophet of Isaiah is to see this Messiah be raised up, the one who would lift the heavy yoke of oppression from Israel's back, the one who would take off the burdens that people were carrying, the one who would set the prisoner free, the one who would come and heal the brokenhearted. That's what they were expecting. They were expecting a Messiah who would come and turn everything upside down the way God always intended it to be. They were expecting this Messiah to come and establish a new government, a new way of being the people of God. Not like the government we see in the earth, not like the the, the political structures of the earth, but a new kingdom, a new way of being the people of God. And the primary way that uh, that those people of God would be marked out is that shalom would be on them, peace would be on them. When you understand peace in a Hebrew understanding, it's not just an absence of warfare. It literally means that God's prosperity, God's blessing, God's kindness, God's favor comes to your family, comes to your workplace, comes to your society. It it, it starts to rectify everything that's going wrong in society. There's no more racism when the government of peace is established. There's no more human trafficking when the government of peace is established. Your family relationships are in order and find their rhythm and their flow of grace in him when peace is established. It's a beautiful thing when you begin to understand that God's best for you is not anxiety or fear. God's best for you is his government of peace. That's how God intends to rule. God is not some dictator who wants to smite you because you've done something wrong. On the contrary, he is a God of peace who rules through shalom. Through the coming of his kingdom, reestablishing the way we do life. 
And this is what they were expecting. They were expecting the one who would proclaim and announce the year of Jubilee. You know, very often in the beginning of the year, I get emails, as I've done this year, asking me for the word of the Lord for the year. What is God saying for 2017? Well, I want to encourage you that Jesus is our Jubilee. There's never a year that we ever have to go by without experiencing some measure of his favor and jubilee in our lives. That is a very good word, so I'm going to say amen. You see, when Jesus quotes in the book of Luke, this famous verse out of Isaiah, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And you'll carry on talking about that same verse, to bind up the broken heart, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then he says, to proclaim the favorable year of our Lord. And he stops right there. But if you read the verse in its original context, you'll see that the next verse that comes after that in Isaiah chapter, then from about 61, is to declare the day of the vengeance of the Lord. I'm so happy that in the new covenant, the vengeance of God has been satisfied by dealing with sin on the cross. So that when Jesus announces his Messiahship by saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, he ends it right there with the full stop. Because when you understand who he is, you enter into an eternal jubilee. God's so kind. And, and John sees Jesus walking to him. And if you read all of the gospel accounts, and I really encourage you to make sure that you're reading through scripture, um, you know, in terms of comparing what the gospels are saying, because they often help you get a fuller picture of what's happening. As Jesus walks to him, he sees the Lamb of God. In fact, in one gospel, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what happens in that moment is Jesus gets baptized, and the Bible says, and I love Luke's uh, context, I think it's Luke or Mark, it says that the heavens were literally torn open. Uh, there's been a holy anticipation for that moment on the Father's behalf to tear open heaven so that he can pour out his Spirit upon his Son. And the Bible says that the Spirit rested and remained on him. In Isaiah chapter 11, the Bible says that the Messiah will have the Spirit rest and remain. You see, up until that point, all of Israel had only ever experienced the person of the Holy Spirit as a force or a power. They only ever experienced him in terms of a momentary empowerment, a momentary encounter, and then he lifted off of them. And then it was only a select few that got to experience the Holy Spirit, a prophet, a priest, a king, and just for fun, a donkey. And that was it. Those were the only people who got to, uh, people and one animal, who got to enjoy the Holy Spirit. And what happens in this moment has such a massive cosmic and profound impact. Because for the first time since Adam and Eve fell, we see the Holy Spirit rest and remain on human flesh. You see, Jesus is clothed in human flesh. 
And when he gets baptized in that moment, the Holy Spirit connects with that human flesh. And I love what happens. The Father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. What's beautiful about that is that up until that point, Jesus had done nothing significant for God. He hadn't healed the sick. He hadn't done anything. He hadn't raised the dead. He pretty much was just a carpenter doing some work. And the Father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I'm so glad that God's pleasure in us is not determined by our ability to be good or to be a lawkeeper. God's pleasure in us is simply because he created us. Man alive, that is exciting. I'll just let that settle for a moment. You see, there is nothing that you could ever do or ever not do that could ever reverse his delight and pleasure in you. Jesus loves you, the Father loves you, and he takes pleasure in you. And I love this moment where where the Father says, I take pleasure in my son. And the Holy Spirit comes upon him and rests on him and empowers him. And the next moment we start to see Jesus in a very different light. He starts to heal the sick. He turns water into wine. He does extreme miracles wherever he goes. Every funeral he goes to becomes a non-event, including his own. Something dramatically happens when the person of the Holy Spirit collides with human flesh and a dynamic of power breaks out. And I love, you know, John the Baptist says to him, when, when he comes to him, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, in order that it might be fulfilled, it is fitting for you to baptize me. And a little bit later in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, he who is least in the kingdom, is greater than John the Baptist. And one of the reasons I believe that is so is because John the Baptist never had the privilege of entering into an encounter and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit the way every single believer does. You see, he didn't get to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit that he prophesied about. He didn't get to enter into Jesus' baptism. And the joy is that for every single person who is a believer here today, your life is marked by the person of the Holy Spirit. You see, you cannot be saved without the work of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) You see, sometimes we misunderstand the person of the Holy Spirit as some kind of ghost out there that we have to wait for this particular moment in a church meeting where suddenly he pounces on you. And uh, you you just have wonderful sensations and warm, gooey feelings. No, no, no. He's a person. And he's the one who draws you into an encounter with the Father. He's the one who shows you the way to Jesus. And it's a beautiful picture because for many of us, we live without enjoying the overflow of the person of the Holy Spirit because we only ever expect him to be a force of empowerment in our life. When actually he's a person and he wants to relate to you. One of the beautiful things is that Jesus gets baptized and the authenticating mark that this is the Son of God, how does John say, I know that this is the Son of God? Because the Spirit rested and remained. 
And here's the outrageous truth, friends. Romans says that the Holy Spirit authenticates our sonship by confirming to us that we are God's sons. And if we are God's sons, we get to call him Abba Father. The same authenticating mark that sets Jesus apart as the Son of God is the same authenticating mark that sets us apart as the sons of God. The only difference is Jesus was begotten of the Father and we are adopted by the Father. Brothers and sisters, do you realize what this means? It means that the very same life that empowered Jesus to do the extraordinary is the very same life that now empowers you to do the extraordinary. You see, brothers and sisters, miracles, signs and wonders, living in a life of abundance in the person of the Holy Spirit is not an optional extra. It's the way God always intended it for us as a community of the Spirit to live. Golly gosh. And for many of us, we live a life less than extraordinary because we've never ever understood that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Do you know, I no longer am waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon me because he now dwells within me. That word, rest, we're talking about resting and remaining. It's a particular word in the Aramaic, in the Gospels there, and it means to tabernacle. And one commentator puts it this way, it means to move in and make himself comfortable. The Holy Spirit wants to move in to your life and make himself comfortable. You see, he wants to lead you, he wants to guide you. And when you do a very simple study of the person of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, you'll realize that the Holy Spirit's main job is not to make you do more, but to help you be more. You see, very often we only ever see the Holy Spirit in terms of empowerment for mission. And so we say, Holy Spirit, won't you fill me so I can do more for you. When actually, throughout the epistles, the main objective of the person of Holy Spirit is not to make you do more, but to help you be more so that you can enjoy your sonship. (laughs) Friends, when you begin to hang out with the person of the Holy Spirit, who is the representation of God on the earth today. Remember when Jesus went, he said, I'm going to send my spirit. He's going to be, I I, I mean, it's just brilliant. I'm so glad God is much more clever than I am. He goes, I mean, if you were one of the disciples handing out with Jesus, miracles, signs and wonders every day for three years, I mean, some of the most outrageous things you've ever seen. And then he goes, okay, guys, I'm leaving you. I mean, at that point, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with my social media account? Because I can't even advertise about all these miracles. I'm hanging out with this cool guy. But what Jesus does in that point is he says, but I'm going to send one who is like me. And the same stuff you see me do, you will do. 
he just totally revolutionizes their life and says, in a moment, you're going to receive someone who's going to take you much further than I've ever been. And suddenly, the works and the person of Jesus goes viral across the Middle East, and everything is turned upside down through 12 men who got filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit comes to help you be more. And you know, sometimes we often focus on the Holy Spirit. I, I grew up in, in crazy charismania. I grew up in a crazy charismatic church uh, where we were really focused on doing right and, and making sure you fulfilled all the rules and the regulations. And uh, if you didn't do right, you better watch out because the Holy Spirit's going to come and get you. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, I used to vacillate between two experiences of the Holy Spirit. Back in my day, Casper, the friendly ghost, was still around. And so sometimes I kind of think, is he like the friendly ghost, Casper, that I've been reading my comic books about? Or sometimes I'd be thinking, oh my gosh, if he finds out what I'm going to do, he's going to smite me. And we've become so focused as the church on what everyone is doing wrong that our understanding of the person of the Holy Spirit is only about what he's going to come and convict you of in terms of what you're doing wrong. But how many of you know that when you became a Christian, you got a new nature? And the Holy Spirit's job, the Bible says, is to convict the world of their sin. You are no longer part of this world. (laughs) John chapter 16, he will convict the world of their sin. He will convict us of our righteousness. You see, when you became a Christian, when you were put into Jesus Christ, the conviction of sinner changed to the conviction of saint. You are now saints. And what the Holy Spirit does is convict you of your sainthood. He convicts you of your righteousness. It's not that, you know, he overlooks sin. It's not that he just kind of goes, don't worry about your sin. What he simply does is he calls out who you now are in order for you to stand up in that truth that you overcome sin. You see, the thing that you focus on, you become like. And when you are sin-focused, that's what you become like. When you are relationship-focused with the Holy Spirit, he keeps saying, you're a saint. Why are you doing that silly thing? Why would you even have that desire? You're a saint. He convicts us of our righteousness. You see, when you begin to understand this, you begin to realize that the person of the Holy Spirit is not just what very often I I think many people experience. He's not the butler of heaven. He's not there to do the dirty work of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is very God. He is the essence of God. He is the full representation of God. He is fully equal with God, and he wants to be involved in your life. You know, sometimes I think the evangelical church has bought into an unholy trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. You see, the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. And the only way we get truth from the Bible is by the dynamic illumination that comes from relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's why there are some Bible seminary philosophers 
and teachers who are still not Christian. Because until you have an encounter with the person of the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Word of God, all it becomes is dry and legalistic. Many have spoken about having a balance between Word and Spirit. I want to suggest to you that that's unbiblical. And the reason why I want to suggest to you that it's unbiblical is that the Holy Spirit, having wrote the Bible, does nothing contrary to the Bible. And sometimes we think we need to have this wonderful balance. If I preach for 20 minutes, then we can have 20 minutes ministry time, and then we've got word and spirit balance. That is not so. Because you see, if you cannot have your heart opened, not just through the preaching of the word, not just receiving, but by the person of the Holy Spirit, you've missed the whole point of what it means to be a son. See, Jesus lived his whole life relying on the person of the Spirit. And so should you and I. See, there's no difference between word and spirit because the Holy Spirit helps us make sense of the word so that he applies it to our life in a way that brings glory to God. Unless you mistake me for thinking that I do not believe in the authority of Scripture, I want to say I do. I simply want to say that the way that the authority of Scripture is worked out in our life is through the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. I remember I was, um, I'll take five more minutes and then we'll try and come in for a landing. I uh, was doing a meeting in the UK once. And I often tell people, in England, they don't fake a shake. Like, if God is moving, he either has to be moving, no one's going to do anything that is slightly odd or emotional. Because let's be honest, we are English. We keep it together. And uh, I was doing one of those meetings where God just broke in and joy broke out. People were laughing, which, in a mir- which is a miracle in itself in England. Yeah, people are laughing in church. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. We saw a number of people get healed. We saw one guy who came in on crutches, literally get miraculously healed, walked out, took his cast off, everything, completely healed as God touched him. I mean, it was just one of those kinds of meetings that was outrageously fun, just because the Holy Spirit is a freedom bringer, by the way, and we'll talk about that tonight. And um, it was just incredible. We saw a number of people uh, respond to the gospel. I'm so glad that even in Europe, people still are responding to the gospel, because the gospel, the good news that your sins are forgiven, God is not angry with you, is still true. It doesn't matter where you are. And so it's just incredible. And the pastor looked at me at the end of the meeting, and I thought this was a really good meeting. People got healed, counted the person of the Holy Spirit. Many people responded to Jesus, some of them for the first time. And uh, this guy said to me, the pastor said to me, Julian, my problem with you is that you place too much emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And I had to think very quickly on my feet, at which point I said to him, the reason I place so much emphasis on the Holy Spirit is because he is God. He is God. And I want to encourage you to start your morning off by saying, good morning, Holy Spirit. You see, friends, the Holy Spirit wants to be involved in your life. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is an expert on everything? He's all-knowing. And so in your business deal, when you just don't have a cooking clue what to do, 
the Holy Spirit wants to invade that space right there and then. Because you see, the Holy Spirit does not mind invading secular spaces. He does not mind invading places that don't look religious and churchified. Yeah, a moment when you're parenting your one-year-old son and you have no cooking clue what to do because he's been screaming for 20 minutes, the Holy Spirit wants to invade right then. Do you know that moment when you're, you're thinking, I just don't know how I'm going to resolve this issue of unforgiveness in my heart? The Holy Spirit wants to invade right there. You see, Holy Spirit's not afraid to invade your space. Problem is, for many of us, we don't understand how to invite him into that space. When Katya and I first started dating, um, we were living about two hours apart, and so we were doing a commute to see each other. And I loved when Katya uh, would come over to my house where I was living in the UK, and I would make sure, I mean, I lived uh, in a proper bachelor's pad, right? Um, and uh, I would make sure that the house was spick and span, very clean. Um, I'd make sure that there was an amazing meal, candlelit dinner, a little bit of Ella Fitzgerald playing in the background just to set the mood a little bit. Just, you know, I wanted to pursue my, my wife-to-be at that point. Guys, you know, single, that's a good point for you. And um, that one was for free. And... So she'd ring the doorbell, and I'd be like, oh, love, nice to see you. I'd give her a big, fat kiss. Not a lingering one, don't worry. We weren't married. And I'd invite her in, and we'd have a beautiful meal together. I mean, it was just outrageous. I mean, you know, I can cook, so she was just loving it. She was like, oh, my gosh, she's amazing, and I am. Um, <laughs> just so, so at the end of the evening, I'd give her another kiss, and I promise not another lingering one, and she would go out, and uh, I would go back to life as usual. It was wonderful, because then, you know, I could carry on for the next week living like a bachelor. And then we got married. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. And so my wife moved in. And I'm thinking, I need to give her some space because, you know, she needs to make this her own. And I realized two things. One, my wife is incredibly creative and a much better uh, interior designer than I could ever be. And two, it's uncomfortable when someone else comes into your space and starts moving the furniture around. For many of us, we love dating the Holy Spirit. We just don't like being joined to him. See, he's got to move in and he has to rearrange the furniture of your heart. He has to rearrange your life around the priorities of the kingdom. You see, the Bible says that the, the kingdom of God is found in the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, one translator or one commentator talks about the Holy Spirit being the eschatos. In other words, the end coming in now. You see, very often when we talk about eschatology, we think triple six and tribulation. 
I want to encourage you that when the Bible talks about eschatology, it talks about a victorious church. It talks about heaven coming to earth and recreating everything. And we now have the person of the Holy Spirit in whom the kingdom of God is found. And when he comes into our lives, we get to have incremental increase of that reality breaking in on us now. But he needs to rearrange the furniture of your heart. So how do we do this? How do we live in a place of allowing him to rearrange the furniture of our heart? I love what the great um, revivalist R.A. Torrey says. He says, if we think of the Holy Spirit, as so many do, as merely power or influence, our constant thought will be, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? But if we think of him in a biblical way as a divine person, our thought will rather be, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? I want the Holy Spirit to fully possess me. That's the only spirit I want possessing me. I'm his possession. He bought me with a great price. And so I want the flow to be Unobstructed. You know the Bible says that you have a river that flows from your innermost being. Do you know in that moment when Jesus was talking about that, he was talking about a river that flows from the throne. In other words, the throne of God is established in you. So the life of God now flows from you wherever you are. That's what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> How do we enjoy this? Well, how many of you remember the story of the prodigal son, as it were? Remember, we did a whole series in this church on that. Um, I prefer, as I think George mentioned this, the prodigal father is probably a better way of describing that because actually the only person, prodigal means lavish, the only person that's lavish in that story is the father. He's incredibly kind. And there's a beautiful scene. You know, Luke writes that. Luke is the gospel writer there. And Luke also writes the book of Acts. They kind of follow one another. And uh, I love what happens in, in this, because as the son is approaching the father, you remember that story, he's gone away for a long time, he comes back, he's running, he's walking towards the, 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 his home again, and the father sees him from afar off. I love this picture. The Bible says the father got up, and he ran towards the son. And the Bible says he fell on him and kissed him. In fact, in the original, it meant he kept on kissing. He just went, wah, 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 and wah, wah, wah. I mean, just like a complete over, uh, just overflow of affection towards his son. And, and I love that. You know, in my culture, I, I get that because in my culture, my dad, when I see him, gives me a fat kiss on the lips. And he says, welcome home, son. Now, if another man at the airport walked up to me and gave me a fat kiss on the lips, I would karate kick him in the head. Because no one else gets the privilege of kissing me on the lips other than my wife and my dad and my mom. That's it. That's the only lips that get to touch this. You see, my dad kissing me on the lips is a sign of his affection to me, his love to me, and my sonship to him. Luke says that the father runs to him, falls on the son, kisses him. And the beautiful thing is that in the book of Acts, Luke uses that particular phrase. It's the only time in the Jews this phrase, he fell on them. He uses it 
in the book of Acts talking about when the Holy Spirit fell on his disciples. You see, the Holy Spirit is the kiss of the Father to you. And the way we learn to enjoy the overflow of the Spirit, the way we learn to live a life that Jesus lived, is by learning to respond to the Father's affection and kisses. Some of you, some of you guys, need to learn how to receive affection from your Father. His affection is not stern. His discipline is not harsh. He's not angry. He's not judgmental because all of the judgment that was needed to deal with sin, the Bible says, was fully, fully, completely dealt with at the cross. So you can approach your heavenly Father with complete confidence and receive his affection and his kindness. See, we're going to have to learn how to rearrange our hearts and say, Holy Spirit, just come. Make me aware of who I am as your son again. And you'll start to let him kiss you. Do you know the incredible thing is that one of the words for worship in the Bible means to kiss. And I've found that when we respond to the Holy Spirit in the context of worship, when we, as it were, kiss him back, there's something beautiful that happens in that moment where there's this divine exchange of his nature at work in our life for all of the stuff that we've been dealing with, with all of the rubbish we've been focusing on, and he begins to refocus our attention. It's why this church has to be and wants to be a church that's first and foremost presence-shaped before we are purpose-driven. Because it's the Holy Spirit who leads us. The second thing, it's just so simple in terms of living in the person of the Holy Spirit and walking in friendship with him, is very simply learning to be more aware of his presence than anything else around us. I love the picture here. The Bible says that a dove descended from heaven, rested and remained on him. Now, I don't know what you would do, but if you had a dove resting on you that you did not want to fly away, you would be more aware of how you serve that dove than anything else around you. And I want to suggest to you that the Holy Spirit is the most inconvenient person you will ever meet. Because he wants to inconvenience you with his love. He wants to inconvenience you with his power. He wants to inconvenience you with who he is. And so he's often going to break in to your day, <laughs> into the moment when you're really busy saying, hey, why don't you worship for a moment? Why don't you love me for a moment? When you're in the context of a boardroom and suddenly you sense his nudging and his leading, and we'll talk about this tonight, and you kind of go, okay, I probably need to do this right now. And as you lean into that, it bears incredible fruit. He wants to invade every area of your life. And I want to encourage you 
that we have to learn to be aware of his presence. When I was three or four years old, probably towards my end of my third year, I got filled with the Holy Spirit and I received a prayer language called the gift of tongues. And uh, I've been speaking in that wonderful gift since I was uh, four years old at least. And uh, I love that. Um, It helps me understand God. It helps me pray to God. It helps me grow my spiritual muscles. The Bible says that when you pray in the gift of tongues, it builds you up. And I want to encourage you, very often as Christians, we see that moment of being filled with the Holy Spirit as a once-off thing. But literally, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to enjoy the person of the Holy Spirit, to allow the river to flow, should not be a once-off thing. It should be a daily, moment-by-moment thing. He wants you to live in the overflow of the Holy Spirit. And it all begins with a simple good morning. It all begins with Holy Spirit, won't you interrupt my day today? You see, the incredible thing that I found about the Holy Spirit is that he's also the most patient person that I know. Because he'll wait and wait and wait until you invite him. If you want a life that lives in an overflow of the supernatural, you need to understand that the same Holy Spirit that rested upon Jesus now rests upon you. That the same Holy Spirit that empowered the life of Jesus now empowers you. That the way we know we are the sons of God is that we are consistently and daily being led by His Spirit. And that His affection is for you. He loves you so very much. And He wants to encounter you daily. And I know for some of you, you might be saying, but Julian, where's the five points and how to know the Holy Spirit more? Well, I don't have five points in how to know my wife more. I can't work it out yet. But what I do know is the more time I spend with her, the more I love her. And the more time you waste on the Holy Spirit, the more you'll fall in love with him. I just want to say this. Many people often say to me, who do I pray to? Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, how does it work? The reality is they all perfectly represent each other. And wherever you pray, they'll bring a revelation of the other because they all prefer one another. That's how Trinity works. So you don't need to worry. But he wants to invite you into relationship with him. Won't you stand... When you close your eyes just for a moment. And if, you, if you're comfortable with doing this, why don't you put your hand on your heart? And uh, I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit just to begin to flow in your heart right now. Remember, the Holy Spirit comes upon us for service to those around us. Okay? But He dwells within us to confirm our sonship. where you are right now just allow him to rise within you allow his goodness to flow from you Holy Spirit we want to tell you that we love you we're so grateful to you I ask you right now to come and fill this people in Jesus name 
Come and release your presence, I pray. Tonight we're going to talk about how you recognize the Holy Spirit, how you recognize His presence, and how you can move in His power. But I want to give you a quick taste test, Jay, in the next two minutes. Holy Spirit, won't you come in power right now and begin to just rest upon people, begin to fill people right now. Jesus' name. Now, some of you are sensing His presence on you. Your bodies were designed to recognize God's presence. This is a scriptural, biblical response. And I'm going to ask Him to bless what He's already doing. I've discovered that if we bless what He's doing, He increases it. So, if you can sense His presence physically on you right now, just quickly lift up your hand. Just where you're standing, I don't want to embarrass you, but I just want to bless what he's doing. As you're lifting up your hand right now, I'm going to ask Holy Spirit just to bless what he's doing. Holy Spirit, won't you increase that right now? Won't you bless what you're doing? We're so grateful for what you are doing. And I ask you to increase that right now. If you're not feeling anything, that's okay too. Because it's not about simply what we feel, but who we know. And God, I pray that you will begin to bless many people in Jesus' name. Would you begin to fill people's hearts and minds with truth? Touch your people in Jesus' name. More of you, God. God, would you have more of us? Holy Spirit, would you have more of us? Now, just as you're standing, I wonder if you would invite the Holy Spirit to come and rearrange the furniture of your heart. Just come and say, hey, you've got a key to all the rooms. You can go to whichever one you want. Even those ones that have kept closed from many people for a long time, allow him to invade that right now. Even those ones that may be where there's some unforgiveness, allow him to invade that and allow him to empower you to make a choice to forgive. If you need healing, the Holy Spirit's going to come right now and bring healing. And so, Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. And I ask you, that we would live in the awareness and the joy and delight of being pursued by the wonderful Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you please make us so aware of your presence. You don't need this, but we give you permission to inconvenience our lives. Then in all that we do, it will first be rooted in the cry that you bring to our hearts, Abba Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Just before you go, I felt like there are four people here with various illnesses. The first thing I felt is just somebody here who's had a long-term sports injury. I think it's your left knee that's caused uh, incredible pain. You've had a long-term sports injury. I believe Jesus wants to heal that. The second one I got was that there's somebody here who's had some kind of reoccurring um, 
chest condition. It's impacted your breathing quite significantly. I actually think you're probably in my my left. Uh, if I could just quickly lift up your hand, like a reoccurring breathing. There's someone over here. I think there's someone on this section over here too. Uh, if it's you, won't you quickly just wave your hands? Is that person? Is that a reoccurring condition? Okay, we're gonna pray for you. Um, I do think there's someone in this section too. And then thirdly, I feel like there's somebody here who's had a condition with their inner ear that's caused like a vertigo or an imbalance problem. If that's you, we'd love to pray with you. And then last and fourthly, the other thing I saw was somebody who's been having uh, reoccurring bouts of insomnia. It's not that you've had it for a long long time, but you've been able to sleep at times, but suddenly you've had insomnia that's impacted your belief Jesus wants to heal you. Those four people, I'd love to pray with you and believe God for a breakthrough with you. Uh, So if you would come out, that would be wonderful. God bless you. Have a great week.